1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and um, we're starting at 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. You know, overseer, elder is the same word there. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let, let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And then Titus 1, 5 through 9. And so he was talking to Timothy, who is one of his church planting interns. Um, and now he's talking to Titus, um, his other church planting intern. And you're going to hear him say some of the same things. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Um, because this is the word of our God, let's pray this morning before we consider it. Father, we are grateful that you gave us the gospel of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, but you also gave us the church, um, the family of faith, where brothers and sisters in Christ come together and declare you as their great father who's adopted them and brought them into this family. And you've also given to this church family spiritual gifts. And some of those spiritual gifts, Lord, qualify men to serve as elders and deacons, um, to be servants of the local church. And so we're grateful not only that we're reading and learning what you say about this generally, um, but we're now going through a period where we're looking, Lord, over our congregation and asking, who have you qualified? Who, Lord, do you want to serve? How have you gifted our congregation with able and qualified men to love and serve um, our congregation into further mission and to further health? We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. All right, so as we come to this, again, we're picking up where I was last week. And where I was last week, as I said, I had just had a lot of material to cover. Um, and so I'm going to leave off wherever I leave off last week, and then I'm going to jump into wherever I left off um, then and pick up and keep going. And so I actually got last week through all of the specific details of how a local church within the Presbyterian Church in America, within the PCA, seeks their very best to take what the Bible teaches generally about church leadership and what it teaches specifically, you know, some mostly 2,000 years ago, and as diligently and faithfully as possible to put it into practice in a local church. So that really any facet of what we do in a local church, we have some way to get back to the Word of God and say, well, this is why we do it, 
you know, no, the Bible didn't say, it doesn't lay out this process of church membership um, that we're about to go through. Um, the book of church order isn't the 67th book of, um, of the Bible, um, but the book of church order is our best attempt to be as biblical as possible. Well, now what we're going to do is we're going to take these two majority passages from which we get the most amount of that teaching about what officers should do um, in a local church. And so we're looking now, we're going from specific practice to now some of those principles again in general that mark officers um, for church, elders and deacons. Is that annoying you as much as it's annoying me? Good. Well, the good thing about um, having a loud pastor is that he can just turn this off and, um, and keep going. So. Um, we're continuing, and if you like alliteration, this should help for you. Um, and the outline that we have, um, sure, I can take that. Um, we have looking at a man's character, looking at his calling, and then I'll put the last, three, the last two together into one, and his competency and the content that he knows of the Bible. Um, and so we'll start first with calling. Thank you very much. Um, we start with a man's calling, and you saw in 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And so the first thing that Paul says for what marks an officer, an elder or a deacon, is that he aspires to it. Is that he thinks it's his calling. That he's come to a personal conviction that God may be calling him to serve the church in that capacity. Now, generally, when you're trying to figure out the call of God on your life, what is God calling you to do? Where is he calling you to do? What job is he calling you into? Um, you look at three things. Um, the first things are the external circumstances and whether they match up with um, the word of God. And so when you look at external circumstances for an officer, you say, well, you know, am I a member of this congregation? Um, do I have the time to do this? Um, do I, I think that I'm, I'm mature? Are, are all the external circumstances in place for me to serve um, right now um, as an elder or a deacon in the church? One of the other things you look to is you look for the external confirmation of other people. And so when you're trying to decide what you're doing, you ask other people, do you think that God's calling me to this? But the third of what he's looking at right here is an internal conviction that this is what God is calling you to as a Holy Spirit. This is um, through his Holy Spirit. It is so important. We don't want men to be flattered into church leadership. We don't want men just to serve in church leadership because a bunch of their best buddies have come up and said, I think that you would be an a great elder or deacon. You should try it out. Say, ah, I don't know. I'll give it a shot. I mean, maybe. We'll see. None of that stuff. We, we start with, if a man aspires to the office of elder and deacon. Not that he thinks he's some kind of Christian superstore. This doesn't undermine biblical humility and his dependence on God's grace and his need for God's mercy, but it's that through his own self-reflection and looking at his own life and praying to the Lord God for clarity and wisdom over a period of time, he's come to say, you know what, if, if, if those external circumstances lined up, if other people were in agreement, I also have an internal calling from God that God has called me to this service. It is, it is so important because being an elder, being a deacon is really, really difficult. It, it, it will try you. It'll put you into hard circumstances. It will show you your sin and your need to repent. Um, it's likely if you do it long enough, you will have the, the great privilege of um, offending every single person in a congregation at one time or another. 
Um, it will definitely bring you into conflict, biblical conflict with other people. It will bring you into the mess of other people's lives. Um, and it's in those moments, we might say the circumstances were here, and you know, I don't know what those people were thinking that nominated me. It's in those moments that you have to say, I feel called by the Lord God to do this. It is really hard. Um, and right now, if you had told me what was going to come, I might not have said yes, but I know that God has called me to serve this local church in this way. And because I'm convinced personally of that truth, I am also going to look to him for the strength and for the gifts and for the encouragement as I seek my very best to labor and serve this congregation moving forward. And so we start with a man's calling um, that the man who is going to serve, the men who are going to be elected as officers, deacons, are men that aspire to that task. Um, so much so that one of the requirements we have in, um, in our little sheet that I'll hand out afterwards if you want to nominate someone, one of the requirements is that for you to go to someone that you plan to nominate and say, I would like to nominate you for elder or deacon. Are you willing to do that? Um, and that's our best way of trying to say we want men that aspire to it. We don't want men to be flattered. We want to go to a man with some kind of silent nomination process and say, seven people nominate you for elder. Don't you want to serve as elder? Um, him think, well, I didn't think so, but you know what? If seven people like me that much, I think I'd like to be an elder. Um, we want a man to say, I, I feel convicted that this might be true, and I am grateful that you see some of the things that God's doing in my life. And so, yes, I'm I'm willing to be nominated. And so it starts first with a man's calling to the office, that he aspires to be um, an elder or deacon. Um, secondly is his character. Um, I could teach on this passage a bunch of different ways. Um, you probably noticed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that there was a long list of different attributes. Um, those are certain things, certainly things that must be present in a man who serves as an officer, but I don't think that um, Paul was giving a pathology of elder or deacon. Um, and so yes, they need to be there, but I don't think Paul was necessarily intending us to look at that as a sole checklist. He was describing what is true of elders and deacons that when it comes to their character, they are examples of Christian maturity for a local congregation. And the way that I'm going to teach and describe this passage, I'm going to lump them together and show you the different kinds of relationships and spheres that elders and deacons serve as examples. And, and by the way, not just, not just for men. Some of them are peculiar and unique um, to the way that men serve in a local congregation. So, for example, leading in the home um, is God's responsibility for um, the husband and father of the family. But the rest of those attributes um, are all attributes that that may that could just as much be true of a woman. And so um, elders and deacons certainly are examples for masculine maturity in a local congregation, but they're also examples of Christian character that serves for all of the congregation, women and, and men alike. And so as we go through, the first thing you see is that they should be above reproach. Um, Paul singles that out in both, both lists first. That simply means that yeah, we, 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 think that, we think he has a good reputation, and we think that he should be considered. Um, it means at the very start, we think that's a possibility. When someone falls into reproach, it means something has become so public, um, either a failing or a lack or a sin, um, that people generally know about it, and it's a part of their reputation now. And so if a man doesn't have a, a reputation that lends itself to Christian maturity, then immediately he isn't considered. So the first thing is the above reproach. Is there, there a group of men that we lump into the, 
yes, I've, I, I've seen some characteristics of Christian maturity. So the second thing we get to is that he's an example of Christian maturity and his relationship with God. And we see some things like self-controlled, disciplined, sober-minded, um, that he doesn't have any addictions. He's, he's not addicted to alcohol. You know, it's, you know, a lot of the addictions we know today are not the same addictions they had back then. And so things like pornography or substance abuse or those things are a part of a man's personal walk with God. And that there is no particular sin that's enslaved him. There's no aspect of creation that is functioning as a functional idol in his life, whether it be um, you know, prescription drugs or alcohol or any of those things, um, or even the Titus list where he says that he should be holy. And so we look at that list and we ask ourselves the question, does this man show the general characteristics that mark a man who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus, has been walking with Christ for a period of time, not that he's sinless, that he's been growing in his repentance of sin. He's been growing and seeing who Jesus is and the ugliness of sin. So yes, sinful patterns are reducing in his life. Does he mark what it looks like? We would say, yeah, you should, you should try and be like that guy. Not because he's perfect, not because he's got everything in order, but because in general, we see the marks of God's Holy Spirit growing him in Christian maturity. And so in his personal relationship with Jesus, is he showing maturity, sober-minded, self-disciplinedness? You know, it's th those are the kinds of things. Second, second um, relationship is: is he an exemplary family man? Um, the we you know, joke sometimes that marriage is sanctification 101 and parenting is sanctification 201. Um, your function in your family is tailor-made by God. Um, to show you most clearly your sins. Um, your function in family, whether husband or wife or child or whatever, is tailor-made so that you cannot hide. You're put in relationship with other people that is both put in your position to ask for forgiveness and to extend forgiveness. And so the, the family unit is the best place to observe the sanctification, the godliness of any one member. And so one of the things that we're trying to make sure we're looking at officers is it's not, he's not one way in his home and trying to be another way in the church because how a man serves in his home will always be how he serves in the church as well. Um, being a father and being a spouse are some of the themes that God uses to describe what elders do for a church. The church is the bride of Christ. Has that man learned to care for a bride and what it means to care for a bride? The, the church or the, the children of God. Does that man know how to care for children in their home? Is he's the husband of one wife? That doesn't just mean that um, he's not a polygamist, um, which I guess is becoming more popular um, today in, in some sections of, I guess, TV land about polygamy. Um, it, it, it means more than just that. It means, um, has he been faithful to his covenant wife? Has he, has he not had an unbiblical divorce? See, love his wife, and he's growing in that marriage, holding her above all else to love and serve her and care for her as Christ cares for the church. Does his marriage mark growth and gospel holiness as a husband? So it means to be husband of one wife. doesn't mean that he doesn't have to ask for forgiveness from his wife. It doesn't mean that he's not a work in progress and growth. It means if he's the husband of one wife, is he being true to his wife and walking faithfully and joyfully within the bounds of of covenant marriage. And so 
Um, you know, other thing is talking about greed and how he deals with his possessions. And so, does that man handle his family possessions well? Um, does he have a budget or his finances in order the way that the family works? And so, that's looking at a man, how he functions in the family and whether he's exemplary um, in his family as a man who loves Jesus, repenting of sin, and growing in grace. The third area that, um, that I can sum things together in is, is he an exemplary church member? How does the man function here in the midst of the congregation? Things like respect, hospitality, not quarrelsome, gentle, being able to lead people through and himself go through biblical conflict resolution. Those are all things that we see in our relationship with one another. And so if you're going to nominate a man for elder or deacon, it's not just what is his relationship like with God? What is his relationship like in his home with his spouse and his children and his finances? What is his relationship like here? What is his reputation amongst the congregation? You know, it's, I, I, I would love for nominations to come out of community groups, that there's a group of people who've been watching that man and watching him in the midst of community, and, and we see that he's not quarrelsome. We see that he's gentle. We see that he has, in the case of an elder, capacity to teach. We see, in the case of a deacon, that he has capacity to serve. And so he is living that out amongst other people, and we're watching these men grow in maturity and the way that they function in a local congregation um, with one another. Um, the last group is, is he an exemplary missionary? Two things that stand out there is one, hospitality. I mentioned that. There's hospitality with Christians. Um, that word hospitality in the Greek is actually philo xenos. Um, philo means love and xenos means stranger. And so that word for hospitality in Timothy actually means the, the love for strangers. Um, can that man talk to people who are not yet a part of the church with love and with concern and generally just being an okay guy? Is, is he able to be hospitable with people who don't know Christ yet or does he simply offend every non-Christian that, um, that he meets? Does he have a good reputation with outsiders? Do people who aren't a part of your church hear of that guy and say, oh yeah, he's, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a man of, of high character. And so what we're looking at when we look at this list is we're looking in these um, these different segments, we say four different areas, within his relationship with God, in his home, in the church, and on mission in the world, is he showing the kind of character that marks a man who has been growing with Jesus? Now, we have to be careful because it's, I want to say he's growing with Jesus because a lot of these things can be faked. You can find a very religious person um, who's just trying really hard to be a religious person who can look externally very moral. One of the worst things that we could do as a congregation is to elect um, religious, legalistic, non-Christians to be leaders in the church because they have the outward appearance of being moral. Um, we want men, it's a, there's not a quota that I talk about, but when I see men and I want them to be ordained for leadership, I want to hear them affectionately talk about Jesus. It's not like I need four tears and mention Jesus eight times in order for me to think that that man is qualified. But I, I want to know that he loves Christ and that his growth and maturity is because he is growing more in love with his Savior Jesus and dependence on the Holy Spirit and knowledge of the Bible and not because he's trying to grow in external appearances in the hopes that he can fake it until he can make it in some kind of false view of sanctification. And that's why when we're looking at these things, 
there is a bar, there is a standard to which men must meet, and if men fall below that standard, they are no longer qualified to be an elder or a deacon, but that standard is also marked by a pattern. Might an elder at times be quarrelsome and need to repent? Yes, absolutely. He might at times be quarrelsome and need to repent. But is he showing a pattern of biblical holiness and growth? And is he on that trajectory of further growth? It's not like we have these minted, perfect, or close to perfect um, elders and deacons. Is that they've met the minimum requirements for maturity. They've shown a pattern of godliness. They're faithful to their wives and to their children. And we see and watch them grow. And that's important for me to tell you. It's, it's not like we ordain men and they just get this magic Holy Spirit anointing where they're never going to make any mistakes. Like they are going to make mistakes. They are going to sin. They're going to need to ask for your repentance. And they're going to have sins for the rest of their life that they're going to, you know, assault with the gospel and seek to grow. And so we're not ordaining perfect men. And when men are ordained, they don't become perfect. And so we're looking for men who can grow in holiness and um, that trajectory. And so that's character. So calling, that's the character. Then we get to competency and content. Um, you'll notice in both Titus and in First Timothy that both elders and deacons have to know the Bible. And so Titus 1 says this of elders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. First Timothy says this about deacons, Understanding this, the law is not laid down. Um, that is not the right passage. Um, I'm looking for First Timothy. I'm reading First Timothy one nine, and not First Timothy three nine. Um, read First Timothy three nine. It says that men need to be faithful and understand um, the word of God. And so, what we're looking for is men who love the word, who think that the word of God is inerrant and has the authority of God behind it, have committed themselves to the word of God and protecting the word of God and understand from Genesis to Revelation what the Bible teaches. We're looking for Bible men who do have a certain amount of knowledge. One of the things we examine men is in Bible. I will give them a Bible test. They will need to look over and give the, their knowledge of what is contained in the Bible as well as a theology test of what does the Bible teach. Um, the Bible is the fuel for men's devotion with God and it is the standard by which they serve in the church, whether it's an elder or a deacon. When they're sitting down, if someone has a benevolent request and they need a certain amount of money because their life's a wreck, deacons are going to open the Bible. When elders are sitting down to give counsel to um, a couple who are having marriage problems or um, to someone who's sin or even to just give her instruction, they're going to open the Bible. And there are going to be difficult things they may need to handle. There may be even heresies or questions that rise in a church uh, around theology or what the Bible teaches. And those men have to be very highest to protect the church from heresy and also to teach and equip that congregation. So men have to know the content of the Bible um, and they also have to be competent. And so you see in 1 Timothy um, 3 um, that an, an elder must be above reproach in the end of that list that he must be able to teach. In Titus 1, it says that deacons should be tested first. And so now we get to the requirements that specifically set apart either an elder or a deacon. An elder is a spiritual shepherd in a congregation who through the word of God, prayer, and the sacraments nourish a congregation with the grace and the gospel of Jesus. That they might be equipped for ministry and grow in grace. And so elders need to be able to accurately teach the word of God. They have to be able to know it and be able to explain it. 
It doesn't mean that every sermon is just the greatest sermon ever. I bomb plenty of sermons. But it means that you understand how to communicate the gospel and what the Bible teaches to your congregation because that is their source of nourishment and growth in the gospel. They have to be able to teach. And that is their main job. We talk about the means of grace, of all the things that elders can do for a church. They have to teach and preach the word of God, pray and administer um, the, the sacrament. You know, have you ever thought about why do we call them ministers? What do they administer? You know, what, what is it that they bring to a congregation? They bring the grace of God in the Bible. And they bring it through the word taught, prayed, and exemplified in the sacraments. That is the main way that you grow as Christians. And so elders have to be able to teach. Deacons serve in a local church to enable elders to do that. And they are leaders of service and mercy, looking at acute needs and the other things that need to go on, usually pertaining to the physical property in a church, so that elders can give themselves to the main need of preaching, teaching, praying, and administering um, the sacraments. And so deacons do not come in and then do all of the congregational connection in a church. Deacons come in and they serve a local church body, especially in acute circumstances. And so if you look at, you know, on time, you see the, the flow of the church. Needs come up. We see growth and different things. If that's a river and the river's flowing along, a congregation grows as you love and serve one another with the gifts that God has given you as elders equip and nourish you with the gospel and you continue to grow. And so all the different needs that come up in a congregation, whether it be physical needs or whether it be the needs for accountability or community or friendship, those are all things that are supposed to happen within that normal river that you all are able to serve and love one another. And the same thing for mission. Elders and deacons are not the missionaries of this congregation. You are. So the normal function of a Christian church happens in this, this river of brothers and sisters doing what they've been called to do. Sometimes... There's a pronounced doctrinal issue that elders need to give themselves to or a major counseling issue that the body can't handle. And so elders give that and intend to those folks with the hopes that they will re-engage back into the normal river. Sometimes there's an acute physical need. You, you, you have a, a widow or an orphan who can't take care of themselves and the congregation can't serve that need. And so deacons come along and try and serve this acute need with the hopes that whoever is experiencing it will then be able to re-enter into normal congregational life. And so elders and deacons are trying to shepherd and equip the congregation to continue to do what the congregation does. They're not taking over any of the functions of congregational life. They're not taking over, even elders taking over your study of the Word of God. They're helping you in your study of the Word of God. They're not praying for you um, in the sense that you don't have to pray because your elders are. Um, they're helping you grow in prayer. They're helping you grow in grace in what you're doing. Deacons are helping you in your service to others, helping you in your service to the congregation. And so that's how elders and deacons serve in a local church. It's, it's not that there's an org chart and elders and deacons are at the top. If anything, elders and deacons are at the bottom. And when you consider the, the, the difficulty that elders and deacons go into, it's really the kind of thing that, that kind of like, well, do I really want to do that? We always joke, um, pastors usually in their first to 10 years joke and say, well, if they had told me ministry was going to be like that in seminary, I would have never become a pastor. Um, the point is, they didn't do that on purpose. Um, because not only is it difficult in ways that you won't, you won't recognize, 
but God is going to supply for your need in your ways that you don't recognize. But if anything, elders and deacons are on the bottom, serving in ways that hopefully go unnoticed, so that the congregation as a whole would thrive. That the best church is that you would get to the place of saying, our church family cares for one another just as a normal part of living life with one another. We don't have to be cajoled or scheduled or programmed. We just love caring for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are sharing the gospel with other people and seeing people come to faith. Not because there are huge evangelism programs or you know major revival tents being thrown up, but just we love each other, we care for each other, we serve God, and we share the gospel with others, and that you just end up talking about a healthy congregation. Now, under that, is going to be healthy elders and deacons who are loving and serving. But the hope is that when elders and deacons are doing what they're supposed to do, their ministry goes relatively unnoticed. All you see is a healthy congregation who know how to love and serve one another, who are equipped for ministry and equipped for serving one another and sharing the gospel in the world. And so that's my encouragement to you. Um, I, I struggled with this sermon series of whether it should be 10 sermons or 20 sermons or three sermons or two sermons. Um, I, I feel like I could talk about these for a really long time. Um, and I, I really, in the same way around election time, that we encourage one another, a, a part of our duty as citizens is to make sure that we vote. We have this great privilege that other people don't have in other countries. And we want to make sure you steward that privilege. The, the great privilege that you have a church member is not only to, to nominate and elect um, your leaders, but to know what God teaches and when you know what God teaches, you know who God is. When you know who God is, you start to see how much he loves you and how gracious he is towards you and what his amazing and precise mercy is for you. And so you think about it, in space and time, God saved you from your sins, whatever your story was. He rescued you from the dominion of sin and brought you into the dominion of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave you the forgiveness that sets his smile over you eternally and unwavering. And he put his Holy Spirit in you that then enables you to grow through all of your days, to see God as father, to encourage you and to support you and to protect you. But that's not all. He puts you in a church family. And he wants you to be a part of a church so that you have brothers and sisters in Christ that you can grow with and you can be in mission on. And he knows that that church family is going to need some maintenance and some equipping and some leadership. And so he gave to that church family elders and deacons so that church family would grow and thrive and churches could be healthy. And so it's not just, yes, God saved me from my sins, as great and awesome as that. But look at all the other things that God has done for you in your Christian life. And a part of those great things that God has done for you is he's given a church where people come with all of their spiritual gifts and they serve in all the ways they can. It just so happens in this particular sermon series, we're talking about um, people who serve as elders and deacons with those particular gifts. And so it's, it's a part of God's love for us. And so in the same way, I want you to steward and love your vote in America's representative democracy. Um, I want you to know and love what the Bible teaches about leaders so that you can see the love and grace and concern and precise care for you that God has given you in assigning and giving elders and deacons to a local congregation. And so if you have any questions afterwards, let me know. I am gonna continue this series for um, two more sermons, um, but at this point, um, we've covered what you need to know basically in order to nominate men for elder and deacon. And so at this point, um, the session is opening up nominations for Christ's Covenant um, Presbyterian Church. This is really the first time that we've done this. 
um, as a congregation. The first time, um, if you were a male member um, of Christ's covenant, a uh, male community member, you were considered for leadership. Um, because we were a church plant and we didn't have many male members. And so um, all of the male members were considered. Well, after a church plant is formed, this, the way that they populate leadership after that is they go through a period of nomination. So you are the first Christ Covenant members um, who have ever done nominations for an elder or deacon. And so you'll, you'll see in the form that I have laid out that this is a process for you, um, not just to write down a person's name on a sheet of paper, but also to really rejoice in what God's doing and providing and a chance for you to pray um, and to have a conversation with God about your decision. And so, you know, our, our list that we have um, starts this way. And it says, um, before you even get to putting a man's name on the sheet, it starts with a checklist. I am a community member of Christ Covenant Presbyterian Church. Has God brought you to be an accountable member of this congregation in space and time saying, I'm going to go through the membership process. I'm going to gather membership questions. I'm going to be accountable to caring for this congregation. I have read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 in the past six months, and I understand what the Bible teaches are the qualifications for elder and deacon. Do you know what the Bible teaches? Has God, by his grace, taught you through his word what to expect? I've prayed about this decision to nominate this potential officer. Have you gone to God and said, Lord, I'm thinking about electing so-and-so. Um, what do you think about that, Lord? Is that the right decision? I've looked over your word. I've considered the man's life. Would you give me wisdom and guidance as I consider nominating this person? I know this nominee to be, and you get to check all that you've personally observed in them, a man of godly character, a godly leader in his home, well-versed in the Bible, knowledgeable of the theology contained in the Bible, a spiritual leader of others or a servant of others, whether elder um, or deacon. And I've asked the potential nominee if he would like to be nominated, and he's assented. So again, in, in order to go through that process and to get to the point where you write somebody's name in, you've, seen, you've said, God has put me in a place where I want to be a part of a local community that I care about and that I love. This is my church family, and that's God's gift to me. God's brought me into a prayerful relationship with him where I can understand his word and I can ask for his guidance and decision-making, especially this important decision-making of putting a nominee's name down on a piece of paper. God has not only done that, but he's put me in relationship with other people where I've seen God's work in their lives. It's not just men for being nominated elder and deacon. You're constantly observing one another and looking at what God's doing in your lives and how he's growing you, that's a great gift to you to be in relationship with other people and you can say, hey, so-and-so, I've seen them grow in grace. They're, they understand God's love for them more than they did a year ago and I've been able to witness that. What a great gift that God's given me. And I have a relationship with a man that I want to nominate for elder and deacon where I can go to him and say, I want you to know that I think that you might be qualified to be an elder or deacon. I've prayed to God about it, and I've looked at the scriptures, and I've seen you work out your faith in this, not in this congregation, and I want to nominate you. Like, in order to write that down, like, realize all of the just amazing things that God's done in your life to get to that point. It's not just a, we need people to populate the board who are going to be the people that we sign up. It's, we're a part of this thing called church. We're a part of a family. God's working here doing amazing things in all of our lives and providing for the needs of our leadership. Um, this is a really cool moment for our congregation. And so reflect on those things. Um, I hope that um, some of you, after you've gone through that process, will um, nominate men for elder um, or deacon. Um, by the way, nominations are, um, are, 
are confidential until the man agrees that he'd like to go through, um, go through the process. Um, and after that, we'll let you know the people that are going through um, the process. And so if somebody feels like now's not the time, I might be qualified, but that's not it, or I don't think I'm qualified, um, you can nominate someone. And um, it's not like we're going to publish all the people that said no. And so um, it's a time for us to rejoice in what God's doing for our congregation. And so I wanted to end with Ephesians 4. This has been the verse that God has been drawing me back to as I've considered this process. Um, it's talking about Jesus and what Jesus does for a congregation um, and the gift that leaders are in a congregation. And so it says, Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So when we elect men from membership, we are rejoicing in the great gift that God's given and looking to them to equip the church so that we together might go out and serve in the world as a local congregation. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for elders and deacons. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to work, look to the world for their requirements of what it looks like um, to serve. We don't have to read books about corporate management. We don't have to look at best practices. We go to your word. And in your word, you've left the qualifications. You've left the competencies and content, the calling um, for men who will serve in your church. I pray, Father, that you would raise up an army of elders and deacons at Christ's covenant, men who are humble, men who love you, are willing to give their lives in sacrificial service to this congregation, who look to you for mercy and grace, who most of all want to preach Christ, die and be forgotten. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time we've had in your word, and we pray in Christ. Amen. When we stand and respond in song.